it's good to be back, at least preaching. I'm going to tiptoe into some of my other responsibilities as I continue to recover, but it is good to be back, and I want to say thank you to all of you for your prayers and for your support. Everybody's been talking about how good I look. Tara shot me a picture this morning from a while back. It looks like I was this big, y'all. I was huge. I think, you know, my heaviest days, generally during my heaviest days, I would weigh about 225 pounds. I think the picture she sent me, I had to weigh close to 240. I'm weighing about 185 now. I've lost a lot of weight, but everybody says I look good. So that's great. Back to my old playing weight. Y'all get used to this outfit because it's the only one I've got that fits. Uh, Tara went through the closet the other day and emptied it. If you were here last week, I did get a new suit. uh, And I got these pants. And I got a pair of jeans that I've been wearing ever since all summer long. Every Sunday that you've seen me here over the last several months, I've had the same pair of jeans on because that's all that I've got. Tara is so excited about the new wardrobe that I'm going to be getting. (laughs) Makes me nervous, but she made me get these socks, so it makes me really nervous what else she's going to make me get. I feel a lot of pressure this morning. I've had a number of people come up to me and say, man, you had a long time to prepare for this one. I'm sure it's going to be good. And others, kind of the idea of, boy, all that you've been through, we just can't wait to hear what God's been teaching you. Oh, the pressure, the pressure to be profound. I think I'm going to disappoint because I don't know if anything I have to share this morning will be profound, but they are, I've got two things this morning, at least that have been on my heart ever since I learned that I had a tumor. What I'm going to share with you today is nothing new. In fact, I'm going to take you to passages of Scripture that I've taken you all to time and time and time again. I'm going to share with you lessons that I have shared before, maybe with a new sense of burden. One of them is a burden from the beginning, and another one I'm calling a plea from the pain, but maybe not pain in the way you may be anticipating. So first, if you will, if you have a Bible, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. We're going to look at a familiar passage, at least one I've shown to you a number of times, and then... For this same point, I'm going to take us to one other passage that maybe we haven't looked at together, at least for a long, long time. But here's my first lesson, if you will, that I want to impress upon all of us. It's nothing new, but along with deliverance, it's the best word I can come up with, it'll make sense in a minute. Along with deliverance, pray for faith. I'm calling this a burden from the beginning because if you were here, 
way back on May 23rd, I learned on May 19th that I had a tumor in my esophagus. And on that Sunday, May 23rd, I announced it all to you. That I've just learned that I have a tumor in my esophagus. There were many unanswered questions at that time. But we did know that. And we knew that I was going to be having lots and lots of tests to come. And if you were here, you'll remember that my burden that morning was that you all would pray for my healing, yes. But what else? Pray for faith. Pray for my faith, Tara, Macy, Molly, and Maddie. Pray for faith that we would trust God no matter what comes our way. You and I are going to face many troubles in our lives. I'd like to think all of mine are over. I doubt it. And your loved ones and your friends are going to face many, many troubles and hardships. Many dangers, toils, and snares are coming your way, your loved one's way, your friend's way. Sickness, disease, unemployment, a failing marriage, wayward children, a loss of a loved one. And we pray for deliverance. We pray for healing. We pray for our friend who's unemployed. We pray for a new job. We pray for that marriage that's having a hard time, that God would heal it. And not only would it survive, but that it would thrive. We pray for that. For that child that has gone astray, we pray that God would bring that child back to a place of faith and trusting in Jesus and walking in obedience. Whatever the issue is, we pray for that. And well, we should, right? Paul teaches us, do not be anxious for anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. Any and everything in our lives, in the lives of our loved ones and our friends, is fair game for prayer. And rightly should we pray when sickness and disease comes for healing, when unemployment comes for a new job, when a marriage is in trouble for God's intervention to make things right. But I want to encourage us also to add prayers for faith. Quickly in chapter 3, Paul had gone through Thessalonica and had preached the gospel and some had believed and he planted a church. But persecution got so hot in Thessalonica, he had to leave. And he went to Berea and then he came down to Athens. And from Athens, he wanted to get back north to Thessalonica to check on the believers because he was fearful for them. He knew that they too were going through hard times. Persecution was hitting and he was afraid that their faith would struggle. 
In chapter 3, verse 1, therefore, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy. He's in Athens. He wants to go to Thessalonica because he's worried about him, but he can't go. And so he sends Timothy, our beloved and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith, so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. See what Paul's afraid of? That the afflictions that they were experiencing would disturb them. And that their faith would fail. So that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we've been destined for this. For indeed, we were with you, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. And so it came to pass, as you know, for this reason, when I could endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor would have been in vain. You and I don't know what God's plans are for our lives. Some things are promised to us. Are they not? We just recounted them in the gospel. What's promised to us by God through faith in Jesus Christ is the forgiveness of our sins and adoption into his family. What's promised to us is his very presence through the Holy Spirit who will never leave us nor forsake us. What's promised to us in the gospel is eternal life with him forever and forever along with a host of other things. There is so much that is promised to us by God, but there is so much else that is not promised to us, right? If you were here on the 23rd of May, you might remember me saying, I am not promised a long life. And not one of us is. I think I've made it through this cancer bout. Praise God. I'm not promised that I'm done with cancer. I'm not promised that something else won't get me. We're not promised a healthy life. We're not promised a long life. We're not promised a life of no pain. We're not promised a spouse until our old age. The children here are not even promised that they will have their parents into their old age. So much is promised to us by God in the gospel, but so many things are not promised to us. There may not be quick resolution to the presenting problems in your life and mine. And there may be no resolution at all in this life. God's promises are precious, but they're not, if you will, pervasive. They don't blanket everything in our life as if we have these promises of long life and healthy life and no pain and the like. God's will for me, God's will for you, God's will for your loved ones, for your friends. Maybe that the sickness would linger. 
may be that death would come. May be that the unemployment will continue week after week, month after month. It may be that the marriage won't get any better. That the child will continue in rebellion for years. Oh, God's mysterious ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways higher than our ways. And what's the spiritual danger in those times? When the hardship comes, when the trial comes, I think the spiritual danger may be failing faith. It's what Paul seemed to be concerned with with these Thessalonians, that affliction was coming to them, and he wondered if the tempter might have tempted you I sent to find out about your faith for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Paul's fear is that those Thessalonian believers would quit, give up, be done. God is no good. Christ is not faithful. The Spirit is no help. I'm not going to follow Jesus anymore. I'm not going to trust God and love God and worship God, and obey God anymore. Let me show you another one. Go to your left to Luke chapter 22. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So the third gospel in chapter 22. This is Jesus with his disciples. They have just celebrated that first Lord's Supper. And they are talking in Jesus in verse 28. You are those, he's talking to his disciples, you are those who have stood by me in my trials. And just as my father has granted me a kingdom, I grant you that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. And you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon. This is Peter. And Jesus, this is Simon Peter. Jesus calls him Simon, Simon. Says his name twice. Seems to add to the drama of it all. Behold, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. That you there is actually plural. Satan has demanded permission to sift you all like wheat. And sifting wheat is what? It's, it's separating that, that grain away from the chaff, right? It's, it's, it's breaking it apart. It's... breaking the head of grain away from the the chaff. Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that he won't be able to do it. 
But I have prayed for you that Satan won't tempt you. I have prayed for you that trouble won't come your way. I've prayed for you that the persecution you're about to experience will not indeed happen. Wrong, right? That's not what Jesus prayed. But I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, now verse, I'm sorry, so the, the, the first one is plural in verse 31, verse 32, but I had prayed for you. Now he's speaking right at Peter. Peter seemingly is the first among equals, among the apostles, and maybe Satan, while he's going to generally sift them all like wheat through the hardships about to come, Satan apparently has his eye on Peter as the leader. And if he can take out Peter, maybe that will do much for taking out the others. So Jesus says, but I prayed for you, singular, you, Peter, that your faith may not fail. And you, once you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. Daryl Bach, New Testament scholar, Satan would like to bring Peter to ruin and leave him in pieces, exposing his lack of faithfulness. The leader of the 12 is a prime target, and Jesus knows it. The warning should make Peter alert. Jesus knows what's coming. The pressure upon Peter. And we know what Peter's going to do, right? We've read the story. Peter's going to deny Jesus three times in an effort to save his own skin. Of course, he blusters that I'll go all the way to death for you, Jesus. But when the heat starts to get turned up, of course, I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. But what's wonderful about Peter is that while he floundered, he ultimately did not fail in terms of giving up completely on Christ. We might say he, his was a failure of nerve, but not a heart denial of Jesus. And this is encouraging, I think, for you and me. Number one, I could almost say, let's pray like Jesus prayed for each other for yourself, for your loved ones, for your friends when they're going through hardship. Pray for the thing, but then pray for faith. Pray that you will continue to trust God in the midst of the hardship, even if, right? We say, no, we didn't, but that's the song we love, and it grows. Even if, I forget the words of that one, but it's good. Even if God doesn't heal me of cancer, I'm going to trust him. Even if God doesn't give me a job as quickly as I want it, I'm going to trust him. Even if God doesn't heal my marriage just as quickly as I would hope him to heal it, I'm going to trust him. I'm not going to, I'm not going to turn away from him. Even if my child, who's been wayward for years, continues in that rebellion against Christ, I'm not going to give up on Christ. I'm not going to turn him loose. I'm going to continue to trust him. 
Boy, this morning went fast. I think you see the point. Pray for each other that we would stay faithful to Christ no matter what comes our way. That's what I want you to pray for me. And real quickly, here was another one. I've been asked, and kind of the pressure was on this morning, what's the Lord been teaching you through all of this? And I sometimes feel a little bit insecure because I don't believe I've got anything profound. And I feel like I should. Wow, you've been through cancer. God must have really shown you something awesome. My answer has been, and I'm sticking to it, after hearing you've got cancer, I never got any worse news. I I just kept getting good news. And so I I never got, hey, it has spread. I never got, hey, you've got six months to a year to live. And after hearing you've got cancer, I I just kept getting good news. And so I don't think I was ever plunged to the depths, if you will, of fear and anxiety. And I was looking at a little book, many of you have it, um, called The Valley of Vision. It's a prayer book, and the opening prayer is, Lord, in the daytime... Stars can be seen from the deepest wells. And the deeper the wells, the brighter the stars shine. Well, I, don't, I don't necessarily feel like I went so deep into the well of cancer that I saw anything incredibly profound. So I'm sorry. But here's the one thing I kept reminding myself over and over and over again, probably the, in, in the way I've answered it to others, that it's just one thing that God has impressed upon me. And it's James chapter 4. Golly, it's time to go. Almost. We got a few minutes. James chapter 4. Another passage I think I've taken us to time and time again. Starting in verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live And also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Quickly, my point from this is dream your dreams and make your plans. But humbly hold them loosely and trust God when he has other plans for your life. Dreaming and planning are completely legitimate We see that from verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. There's nothing wrong with thinking about the future. John Calvin said, we read everywhere in the scriptures that the holy servants of God spoke unconditionally of future things. 
Certainly the Apostle Paul did. He made plans and well should we all. But I think a passage like this reminds us to hold them loosely because the Lord runs our lives and not we ourselves. I think about my sabbatical woes. Some of y'all know this. I feel like for some time now, I've, I've needed a bit of a sabbatical, um, a bit of time away for rest and renewal and refreshing of body, soul, spirit, and the like. And I had plans to go on a sabbatical in 2019. And we had some staffing issues, and it just wasn't going to make. And so just decided, you know what, 2019 is not going to work. So I'll do it 2020. Started putting plans together for sabbatical in the summer of 2020. And of course, the world went crazy with COVID. Everything shut down. My plans out in California got canceled. Plans in Florida got canceled. I said to the elders, I don't want to do a sabbatical in Katy during COVID. And they said, we don't want you to do that either. So I'll do my sabbatical in 2021. And all my plans came together. And four days before I was to start is when I learned I had my tumor. When I announced to you all on May 23rd, I was to preach that morning and leave for sabbatical. But I preached that morning and told you all I have a tumor. But I had it all laid out. Today or tomorrow, we shall go to such and such a city. Colorado. I knew when Tara and I were going to go up to Wyoming and when our whole family was going to go to New Mexico. Had it on the calendar, knew exactly what the summer was going to look like, knew the destination. Such and such a city, spend a year there. I could tell you how many days I was going to be at the Frio, how many days we were going to be in Colorado, how many days we were, Tara and I were going to be in Wyoming, how many days we were going to be in New Mexico. Could tell you everything about it. Spend a year there, engage in business. I could tell you generally what we were planning on doing there and make a profit. I could kind of say, yeah, we were going to have some fun. Had it all laid out. And then, of course, you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. Just a vapor that appears for a little while and vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. Notice, if the Lord wills, we will live. Not just that your plans are going to be upset, but your life is completely dependent upon the will of God. It's so funny, on a handful of occasions in Bible studies that I've teach, I've said to whoever it was, I've said, listen, guys, we may have a tumor growing in our body right now. We don't even know it. And lo and behold, I had a tumor growing in my body, and I didn't even know it. God's plans. And you could share your stories about how God's changed the course of your life, the plans that you had, the hopes that you had, the dreams that you had, the course of your life all laid out only to be changed by the sovereign Lord. And so I was going to end here, so hold them loosely. But then it hit me in preparation. That, that doesn't go far enough. 
Because we could say, yeah, yeah, the Lord is in control of my life and I'm going to hold loosely the plans that I have. But then if indeed he changes our plans and disturbs our hopes and dreams, if we're not careful, we get mad at him. And so I just want to encourage us not only to hold our plans loosely, but trust God that he's doing good things that will eventually become clear. Maybe in this life, certainly in the next. The Apostle Paul, after his third missionary journey, he had plans to go to Jerusalem deliver a financial gift to the suffering saints in Jerusalem and then go to Spain. He wanted to go to Spain so he could be helped by the church in Spain because he wanted to take the gospel all the way, or no, to go to Rome, I'm sorry. He wanted to go to Rome because he wanted to be helped by the church in Rome to take the gospel all the way to Spain. He had plans. He had some hopes and he had some dreams. The only problem is God had different plans. He left, uh, he was in Corinth and he came back to Jerusalem and he delivered the financial gift and surely he's probably looking to buy a ticket on a boat to Rome. But he gets arrested and he gets put in prison for two years in Caesarea, just sitting there. And then they wanted to take him from Caesarea, bring him to Jerusalem to stand trial. But he probably knew uh, there's no way I'll get a fair shake in Jerusalem as a Roman citizen, I'm going to appeal to Caesar. And so he did. I appeal to Caesar, which as a Roman citizen means he'll go to Rome and stand trial. And so they put him on a boat and they took him all the way to Rome. And in Rome, he sat in prison for two years. So four years in prison with maybe one guy estimated a sixth month boat ride in between. Four and a half years. That's a different plan. That's a different course than Paul had laid out for himself and his hopes and his dreams. But you know what? God was doing something special in the midst of it. I'll be quick. John Stott, in his commentary on the book of Acts, ends his entire commentary reflecting on just what God may have been up to in allowing Paul, rather than his plans come together, to sit in prison for four and a half years. One, Stott believes, is that his ministry got expanded. In this, at least one sense, he got to share the gospel with Nero himself. We don't know that for sure, but the indications are that Paul was able to proclaim the gospel to Nero. Probably never would have happened if he had not gone to Rome as a prisoner. Secondly, not only was his ministry expanded, his ministry was enriched. And what Stott means by that is during this four and a half years of a different course of life, Paul wrote, especially in those last two years, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. We call them the prison epistles. But if you've ever read Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, they speak to the glory of Christ in ways that none of Paul's other letters do. 
And Stott just wonders if those four and a half years of meditation and prayer birthed out of Paul the incomparable prison epistles. And then finally, it authenticated his ministry. Not only expanded it, not only enriched it, but authenticated it through the suffering that he endured for the sake of Christ. So we need to be done. But what are God's purposes for disrupting my life with different plans? What are God's purposes for disrupting yours? We don't know. I don't know. You don't know. But maybe in time, we'll get to see some. And if not in time, in the age to come, I think it'll be made clear. And so when God does change our plans, let's not only humbly hold our plans loosely, but let's trust him, right? I close with one of my favorite hymns. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. Cancer has been a frowning providence. Mm. Makes me frown. Chemo and radiation and surgery and all that that implies is a frowning providence that William Cooper was talking about. But I believe that behind it is a smiling face. I'm going to trust that, that God is in it. Blind unbelief is sure to err and judge his works in vain. Listen, if I, if I was going to be unbelieving about this, God, your works of giving me cancer and changing my life is in vain. You do not know what you are doing. You are unworthy to be trusted anymore. Blind unbelief is sure to err and judge his works in vain. God is his own interpreter. He'll make it plain. In this life, maybe. In the next, for sure. Let's pray. Father in heaven, would you help us as we pray for ourselves and pray for our loved ones and pray for our friends as we, as they, go through hard times Help us not to forget to add to those prayers faith. Lord, we pray that you would heal Mitch. But Lord, if you don't, and as they're going through this, would you give him faith? Would you give Tara and the girls faith to trust you in the midst of this? Lord, would you heal that marriage now? But Lord, if you have different plans, would you give to my friend faith to trust you in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the hardship, in the midst of the trial. Give them faith to cling to you, to never give up, to keep trusting you. Lord, help us to remember to pray that kind of strength and sustaining things for our friends, for ourselves. And Lord, surely we all got plans. We all got hopes and dreams for what's coming next. But we believe and we know that you are in control of our lives. And so we hold these things loosely 
And we pray that you would help us to trust you when it comes. To not be men and women of blind unbelief. But we would trust that our God is a good, good Father. And we are loved by him. In Jesus' name, amen.